This is Darlene, Kate Anthony's editor, back here one more time to introduce this week's listener favorite episode. This week, Kate is re-airing an episode all about the things that are not your job. She takes on 8 to 10 scenarios of things that are not your job and explain why you need to stop carrying all the weight in your relationship. Now, here's Kate Anthony with this week's listener favorite episode. Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. It's solo episode time. A few weeks ago, um, I posted in my Facebook group that I was going to write a book and it was going to be called Not Your Fucking Job. And it was going to be a very simple flip book <laughs> about all the things that it's not your fucking job to do for your spouse or partner. And I kind of posted it as a joke and then the post kind of went a little nutso and people were commenting on it like crazy. And then I posted it on Instagram and then I posted it on Facebook and people had a lot to say about this. And so I've decided to do this podcast episode all about not your fucking job. Now, I want to be really clear. I tend to not be black and white about almost anything. Um, in relationships, in, uh, in life. I'm a very gray area person. And yet there are certain things that I'm pretty fucking black and white about. And so I'm going to go into, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go through this list of things that I think it's not your fucking job to do or deal with or, and then I, I'm going to talk about each one in a little bit more depth because it's all very, you know, fun and games, right? It's not your fucking job to put the toilet seat down, right? <laughs> which was one of the ones that people put, you know, it's not your fucking job to make him study for school for the degree he says that he wants, you know, it's not your fucking job to make him, you know, anyway. So there are certain things that are like kind of funny. And then there are certain ones that are really serious and require a little bit more explanation, right? Because if you are in a relationship with some, with somebody to a certain extent, supporting them and loving them kind of is your fucking job, right? But it's not your fucking job to do it alone, right? It's not your fucking job to care more about his schoolwork than he does. It might be your job to support him in creating structures that help him to have good and healthy study habits, but it's not your job to set those up for him and to see them through for him. So I just want to kind of clarify that as we go through this. So, you know, the first thing on this list is it's not your fucking job to heal his childhood wounds. Now, this is one that is 
a little complex. It's it's far more complex than it would appear on the surface because if you've been around me for a while, you know that I often talk about imago therapy. And in imago therapy, it actually is your fucking job <laughs> to heal your partner's childhood wounds. That's the premise of imago therapy, which is that if you identify your triggers and you say you you express them clearly to your partner, and say, you know, that it, it triggers my childhood wound of X. So if you would, you know, make this behavior change request. So let's say, you know, the story that I always talk about is that my, I have a trigger around people being late. And that stems from my childhood wounding of my father always being late to pick me up or and often not showing up at all to pick me up. So when someone is late, it triggers all of my abandonment issues. And so it's my job it is my job in a relationship to say, hey, I have a childhood, I have a wound around lateness and it stems from this thing. And I'm sure it's not your intention to abandon me or whatever, but it just triggers that for me. So it would really help me if you would, and in imago therapy, you would literally say, it would help me heal my childhood wound of abandonment if you would be on time or call me if you're going to be late. And then it is your partner. You are not entitled to this, though. This is the thing about imagotherapy. You're not entitled. Your partner can say no. Your partner can say that actually triggers my wounding around, you know, feeling suffocated and controlled. And it's too far of a stretch for me. And I, I'm going to have to say no to that. Right. So your partner can say no. So it's not your fucking job. Right. It's not, it, it, it might be your honor and privilege to provide that for somebody. It might be, so, you know, it might be that you're really love someone and you hear that this is their wound and like, Oh my God, even if it's a stretch for me, of course I want to help you with that. Right. But it's not their fucking job. Right. There's no entitlement to that. And when I say it's not your job to heal someone's childhood wounds, what I mean by that is, if they are unwilling to go to their own therapy or couples therapy or to do their own work on healing their own childhood wounds, it's not solely your job to be the, the, the provider of healing for another person who's unwilling to be responsible for their own healing, right? So that's what I mean by that. It's not your job to heal someone's wounds that they are unwilling to communicate that they are unwilling to acknowledge, that they are unwilling to um, express, that they're unwilling to do their own work to try and heal themselves. Because guess what? You will fail. And not only will you fail, but you will be resented, deeply resented for not having the magical powers to heal wounds that another person isn't even willing to give a shot at trying to heal for themselves. Uh, it's not your fucking job to teach him how to be a good parent, right? How many books, <laughs> how many books have you read on parenting, right? We all have the same exact amount of information available to us at our fingertips. And often, I'm speaking to the women here, and by the way, if you're a man and you relate to anything that I'm saying, and I'm using a different gender, if I'm using the word, you know, woman or him or whatever, just switch it, just switch it. Cause I'm talking to you too. Okay. Most of my audience is female. 
which is why I mostly speak to women. But if you relate to anything that I talk about here, oh my God, it is for you too. Please do not feel alienated or like I'm not speaking to you. I totally am. Very often what I see is that women, when they either get pregnant or when they have a baby, they read all the baby books. They read all the how-to books. They read everything, right? And then men look to women to be told what to do because the woman read the book. And this is called bearing the mental load. We are tired. We shouldn't have to tell you what to do. We want you to have also read the book and be doing the same work alongside of us. Okay? Super important. The mental load is super important. If you want to read more about this, you should read Gemma Hartley's book, Fed Up. And it's why women are fed up. And it's all about the mental load. So please read that book. I'll never forget this. Um, when my son was born, I had read all the books. I read all the books. In fact, I read too many books. I read too many books and they were giving me conflicting information and I was being driven completely insane. But that's not the point. The point is that my husband would like had these weird things that he wanted to do, like weird, like kind of weird. And he finally one day said to me, he's like, you know, I have instincts too. He's like, everyone talks about, you know, mother's instincts. He's like, I have instincts too. And I just looked at him and I went, yeah, but they're wrong. (laughs) And part of that was that they were not informed by having done any research, right? We all, I guess we all have instincts, I suppose. But, you know, a lot of my instincts and my impulses around motherhood were about things that I had read in books. And again, I was getting completely confused because I read too many books. But um, my my husband hadn't read anything. And so he wanted to do weird things that might have been either counterintuitive or like not even healthy. I don't even remember what it was. And so I spent an ungodly amount of time, not just nurturing an infant and learning how to be a parent, but also teaching him how to be a, a parent as well. I mean, the basics, the, you know, the logistics, like this is how you, this is how you swaddle. He ended up being the master swaddler, by the way. And he was always uh, the master burper. But it's not your job to teach someone how to be a good parent. They have to read the books too. As I said before, it's not your job, not your fucking job to do his deep therapy work. And you actually cannot do it for him. It is 100% counter to his healing for you, especially as his partner, right? You're the closest person to him. You're you're probably the one to trigger him the most. So actually being his stand-in therapist is the worst thing for your relationship ever. It is not your job to remind him to set an alarm to get to the, the kids to school on time. I've heard this from so many women. Okay. And again, men, if this is, if you have this issue too, if this is not about you, I hear this from so many women that they have, you know, if, if they have an early training, let's say they're training for a triathlon or something and they have to get up at five o'clock in the morning and go do their training, that they have to remind their husbands the night before to set the alarm to take the kids to school on time and to pack them lunch the night before. That is not your fucking job. What my clients will say to me is like, but if, yes, but if I don't, then he won't do it. And my response is, let him not do it one time. Let him fail. Let him not do it. 
let him send the kids to school without their lunch one time and be the recipient of the phone call that they don't have lunch and let him have to deal with it. Let him sleep through his alarm and have the kids be late to school and have that be on him. Give him the benefit of the embarrassment and shame. Because if you keep doing it for him, he will never need to to grow up, right? You're doing the adulting for him. The more you do the adulting for another person, the more you keep them infantilized. If you want an adult as a partner, you treat them like an adult and you allow them to make mistakes and you don't clean it up. It's not your job to leave him reminder notes of all of the things that need to get done if you're going away for a girl's weekend or a, uh, you know, or a trip or a work trip or whatever it is, right? It's not your fucking job to leave reminder notes all over the house for all the things that you need him to do. Again, he's a fucking grown up. And if he does the things great and if he doesn't do the things, you don't get to control what happens in your house when you're not there. You just don't. Unless your children's safety is at risk. He can, he may, may take the children to that birthday party unshowered with their hair uncombed and with no birthday present. That, that might happen. And if that happens, it's not your fucking job to do anything about it. That's on him, right? If you're going away, go away. My guess is that if he goes away, he doesn't leave you a bunch of lists and tasks and things that need to get done, right? Um, and this goes for, this goes for people who are divorced. You know, one of the things that happened when I got divorced was that I realized as a stay at home mom, I had been responsible for everything in the house. And then when we got divorced, my ex-husband, suddenly had to be responsible for all sorts of things that he had never been responsible for. And he would call me in a panic and I would say, I am sure you can figure it out. And he did because I didn't do it for him. If I had continued to do everything for him, he never would have figured it out. But the very first weekend that he had a birthday party that was on his weekend and he had not planned ahead, it was like half an hour before the birthday party and he texted me in a panic that he didn't have a present. And I was like, oh, well, guess you'll have to stop a target on the way. That was it. I didn't clean it up for him. He said, well, what am I going to get him? And I said, gosh, I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe you should text his mom, right? Like that's as far as I went. And now I'll tell you what, my ex is far more on top of this shit than I am. So it's not your job to leave him reminder notes, to buy birthday presents for parties that land on his weekend with the kids. Not your fucking job. It's not your fucking job to shop and cook before you go out of town for the weekend. I remember when I was still married and I was going out of town. I had one child, (laughs) one child, and I was going out of town for the weekend and I was going to a conference or something and my... I was with my friend Greg in the playground and Greg had three children, two, two twin toddlers and like an infant at the time. And I said, Oh my God, I have so much to do before I go. I'm going to have to shop and cook and like, you know, before I go. And he turned to me and he said, you know, I've always been of the mind that you shouldn't have any more children than you're able to uh, handle and take care of on your own. I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) And he was right. He was right. So it's not your job to prepare everything and set everything up. 
you know, before you go out of town, if you're still married. It's not your fucking job to remember appointments for somebody else. It's not your job to remember his therapy appointment or your couple's therapy appointment or your mediation appointment, right? You're a grown-up. It's in your book. If it's not in his book, then he can pay the penalty when he forgets. And then maybe next time he'll put it in his in his calendar and he'll be set up a reminder and he'll figure it out. But it's not your job to remember his doctor's appointments, his, you know, anything. It's not your fucking job. It's not your fucking job to find him a therapist. It's not your job to force him to go to therapy. It's not your job to beg him to go to therapy. My last solo podcast episode was about this, right? About, about, you know, what happens when you've been begging him to go to therapy. It's not your fucking job to beg someone to go to therapy with you. Go to therapy yourself. Go to therapy yourself. And if he chooses to go to therapy on his own, fantastic. If he chooses to go to couples therapy with you, even better. But if he doesn't, forcing him to go, begging him to go, isn't going to – he's not going to go for the right reasons, first of all. It's not your fucking job to beg him to love you. It is not your job to beg him to treat you well. I did that for years and years and years begged to be treated as well as the dog, begged to be loved and to be as, you know, for him to be as nice to me as he was to other people or as my friends were to me. It's the most demoralizing thing you can ever do. It is not your fucking job to explain basic human needs to a whole grown person. I think somebody actually wrote that in my thread on my my Facebook group, <laughs> right? That's not your job. It is not your job to get someone sober or to get them to quit drinking or to get them to otherwise deal with any of their addictions. It is not your job to heal someone else's addiction. It will not work. It's not your job to heal their anxiety. Here's a tough one. It's not your fucking job to tell him you love him enough that he finally believes it. If he has an unfillable hole, if he has a hole, as someone said, I think recently, whether it was on Instagram or on my Facebook, something about a bucket with a hole in the bottom of it, you know, those unfillable buckets. If he has an unfillable bucket that is from his deep childhood wound of not having been loved as a child, you will never pour enough love into that bucket to fill it, ever, because he has to do the work to seal that hole and fill the hole first before you'll ever be able to fill that bucket. It's not your job to prove your worth. It's not your job to prove your love. It's not your job to pack his lunch. Like, come on. Again, he's a whole grown person. So now we're going to move into, into, into some, uh, some sex stuff here, right? It's not your fucking job to satisfy him sexually enough that he will not cheat on you or watch porn. It is not your job to be receptacle for sex at any time, in any place, and in any way that someone else wants it. It is not your job to be a sexual being for another person with no reciprocation. It's not your job to be hot enough for him to not watch porn. He's not watching porn because you're not hot enough. He's watching porn because he's addicted to porn or he likes it, 
right? And there's healthy porn use and then there's unhealthy porn use. But if his porn use bothers you and upsets you, and if he tells you that he wouldn't have to watch porn if you would just do X, Y, and Z, that is not your fucking problem. It's not your job to be his Madonna and his whore. It is not your job to keep his dick out of other women. It is not your job to lose weight to meet some impossible standard set by the beauty industry that's entirely designed to make you feel bad about yourself so that you'll buy more of their products and so that you will think that you meet the standard that your husband, uh, that your husband seems to have set for you, right? Because there's a standard, which is impossible, that is set by the beauty industry that is all about them making money, that your husband also thinks is the standard. And he may think, not, not, it, maybe he doesn't, but it, he may think that that is the standard. And if he thinks that's the standard and you're not meeting it, then there's something wrong with you and you have to change to meet a standard that is literally not based in reality. And that is abuse. So it's not your job to lose weight to meet somebody else's impossible standards. It's not your job to dye your hair, get a boob job, cut your hair, lose weight, gain weight, exercise, unless you fucking want to. It's not your fucking job to do any of those things in order to be enough or feel attractive enough for another person. It's not your fucking job to smile. It's not your fucking job to be nice all the time. It's not your fucking job to be his mother, to keep his schedule, to clean up his mess, to remind him to attend parent-teacher conferences. If you are divorced, you need to get one email address that is like, you know, schoolshit at gmail.com or whatever, you know, school at gmail.com that both of you have access to that goes to both of your email accounts, and that all of the school stuff goes to. This way, everything is always in both of your inboxes, and there is no excuse for, you didn't tell me, I didn't know. It's not your fucking job to tell him how amazing he is every single day so he feels good about himself. It's not your fucking job to single-handedly bring passion to your relationship. I think you get the picture here. It's not your fucking job to change, to avoid conflict. It's not your fucking job to put things in your name because his credit was wrecked. And so now you have to bear the financial burden of the marriage. There's an, there's an ongoing list. There's, there's even more here. There's so much, right? But here's the deal. If you want to be in an equal partnership with another human being, you have to set, this is your fucking job. Here is your fucking job. It is your fucking job to set the standard for what equal partnership means and not step outside of it. So it's a boundary. And boundaries are not just telling people what you will and will not do. It is actually about you taking the actions for yourself that hold yourself accountable to the boundary that you set. So for example... When you, let's say, right, like that thing about setting up the email account, right? It's not your job to tell another human being all of the, you know, to remind them three or four times about something coming up because you're the only one getting the emails. It might be your job to set up the email account 
and then send him the link and say, make sure this gets into your hooked up into your email, uh, to your phone or your computer. And that's it. That's your job. It's his job. It's the other person's job to then hook it up, set up reminders and show up. Do not be reminding the other person. You send them the information once and that's it because they're a grown-up. If you want someone to show up as a grown-up, you have to treat them like a grown-up. And this is like codependency 101. Actually, it's not. It's codependency 201, right? So the thing that we love to do as codependents is to caretake everybody else. And then we get really fucking resentful when they don't caretake us and when we're doing all the work. And part of that is our, you know, empathic need to nurture. The other part of it is that we're fucking control freaks because many of us, if not most of us who are codependent, were raised in chaos and we have a really hard time letting go of control because in our childhood homes, this is our wounding and this is the work that we have to do. This is our fucking job. In our childhood homes, there was so much chaos that if we, if we let go of the reins, For five minutes as children, the entire house of cards would fall apart. You know, whether that was living with active uh, addiction um, or with another, you know, being raised by another codependent. This is like hard one habits, right? And it can be terrifying for us to give up control. Absolutely terrifying because we're 100% sure everything will collapse. But here's the thing. And here's what I want you to ask yourself in these moments is what's the worst that will happen? Because in childhood, the worst that would happen might have been that you didn't get fed, that you weren't t- taken care of. You know, your you had a need to protect yourself because it might have been a matter of life and death. You're a grown up now and that's not the, that's not what's happening. And your children are are fine, right? So what's the worst that will happen? Your ex-husband doesn't show up to the parent-teacher conference. Okay. And then what? He doesn't have all the information needed to, you know, help your kid get better in school. Okay. And then what? Right? Just keep walking it down that line. Anxiety is produced by keeping us not all the way down the line, but in the first, like, oh my God, but then, oh my God, then he won't show up. Oh my God, but then he won't show up. Oh my God, but then he won't show up. Oh, okay. And then what? And then what? And then what? We release anxiety by going all the way to the end of the line and realizing that like, what's the worst that could happen? As as codependents and as people who were raised in chaos, we keep ourselves in that loop of, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, right? And we have to be able to let go of that control. We have to do the work. It is our job to do the work to relinquish that control to, you know, Go to Codependence Anonymous meetings to read Codependent No More by Melody Beattie to go to Al-Anon meetings and learn what it is to let go of control. Because all of these things, all of these things that I've said today, everything that I've said today that it's not your fucking job to do, if you're doing these things, you're doing them out of some need to control whether it's controlling someone's um, emotional responses, whether it's controlling someone's um, success, whether it's controlling someone's uh, love, whatever. It's all about control. And it's your job to get underneath what that is for you. It's your job to find out what it is that you're so scared of losing control of. 
And that is literally the only way that you will either heal your marriage or have a an amicable divorce, frankly. Those are the things. There are many more, I'm sure. I'm sure you could come up with a list of 10 more in your life that come from your own anger, right? All of these things come from your own anger. anger. What is it that you need to relinquish? Make a list. And on on the left-hand column, everything that you're doing that's not your fucking job and you want to relinquish control over. And on the right-hand side, what is it that you're trying to control? And I'm thinking you're going to find a lot of freedom in that. Okay? And that is your fucking job. Thank you for being here for another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. Uh, I love and adore you all. Make sure if you are a woman and you are not in my Facebook group, you need to get in there. The conversations in there are pretty amazing. Oh, and also I have coming up starting February 3rd, I'm going to be running a live version of my program called Rooted. It is a six-week immersion. It is my foundational program, and we dive really deeply into inner guide work, inner critic work, values, boundaries. Hello. If you were nodding along with this episode, it's it's a boundary time um, and all sorts of other stuff that's really, really important um, foundational stuff for anyone who is either trying to decide whether to stay or go and for anyone who's gone and still feeling like they need help sort of building their confidence and and finding their strength and stepping into their true authentic power. If that's you, this program is 100% for you and there's a link in the show notes and I will be taking a group through this program six weeks live starting February 3rd. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.